This is the Common Sense Podcast presented by Tamar. I'm your host, Tamar Weinberg, founder and CEO of Tamar, and I will be talking to people of all walks of life who have suffered adversity and overcome to rise above the ashes and now make self-care and wellness an absolute priority. Hey, everybody. We are in another lovely, well, for me, lovely day, beautiful day outside, getting pumped, making things happen. And I have the amazing Andrea Harding here. Thank you so much for joining. Where, yeah, where are you? Tell me what you do, where you are, where you're, what your life is like, uh, what's going on, because we're still in this crazy uh, coronavirus insanity. Tell me where, what your experience is like and, and what's going on. Thank you very much for having me, Tamar. My name is Andrea Harding. I am in San Jose, California, and it is usually pretty sunny here, and today it's a, a little bit cloudy. We are weathering, no pun intended, weathering the coronavirus pretty well in California. We have lockdowns like everyone else, but we do uh, get outside and hike, as Californians love to get out and enjoy their outdoors. And so there are restrictions, but limited restrictions. And so I spent the last couple of months working on my startup, which is called ZipGig. Hopefully we'll be chatting about that very soon. Yes. But uh, I, uh, I love the outdoors and I get outside almost every day and it's, um, it's a compulsory part of my, my daily life. That's awesome. Yeah, right now, vitamin D, they say vitamin D is really, really important for beating coronavirus. I think there was there were a number of studies that have actually said that 100% of the people in the ICU actually had vitamin D deficiencies at a, at, at a certain age. And I think that going outside is, is of critical importance right now. I don't really have time to go outside, but sometimes I'll just sit outside just to make it happen. I'll take a walk around my driveway while working on my phone because I don't really, that I could easily run inside if I need to. But I think it's so important right now. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Being, being, being in touch with nature, I think it's, to go outside in my neighborhood is absolutely enjoyable, but because we have amazing county parks that are still open, that have remained open. And I say beautiful county parks that have miles and miles of hiking trails and biking trails. It's being out, being outside and then being in touch with nature. It's the kind of the two combo and away from people. <laughs> so you, you sort of get inside your head and you, you get out and you hike and you bike and, and you work things out through your head. It's very important for me. In New York, I think we're we're dealing with a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I mean, it's great to have the parks open, but a lot of them have been relatively, uh, I mean, most of them have been closed. Some of them are open. Some of them are open because it's too, full. some of them are closing because it's too full. It's, it's, they really are being extra cautious here because they, I guess the New York government, in, they did a good job in shutting things down, but I think they shut down most of the stuff a little too late. Like I was part of the, and uh, you asked me about like my experience with the coronavirus. I, I live in New Rochelle, New York, that if you Google it, was the first case of community spread in the United States, the confirmed case of community spread. I actually know patient zero here, and I've been connected to the many people who have uh, since tested positive, and I was part of that cluster. I wasn't associated, like they, they had house visits, I ended up having to go to the test site because they didn't come to the house. A little crazy, but um, we were shut down on March 3rd, and yet most of us work in New York City area, and they didn't shut down New York City until March 17th, March 18th. So just imagine that people were walking around with the coronavirus and nothing was going on. It's mm -hmm. absolutely crazy um, that 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 you know that was happening. 
Um, so I think that we would have been in the same position as San Jose, assuming mm-hmm. the world, like the New York, the Blasio, the, the governor, uh, the, the mayor of New York City actually acted, but he didn't act, I think, uh, to the best interest of, of the community. And so now, now most of these things are still shut down. There's definitely more movement, but I think mentally, as for me, myself, and I, uh, and several people in my community, we have literally, like, I mean, go out very, very minimally. And I don't, I had the virus. I beat the virus. I tested, I actually donated plasma this morning, and yet I have to wear a mask. Somebody had asked me when I tweeted, why are you wearing a mask? You, don't, you have the antibodies. And I'm like, well, people don't know that. You know, it's still an optics mm-hmm. issue. They'll, they'll judge you. Why are you not wearing a mask? You know, of course. You, could, you could be a risk to other people. There's a lot of di- the dynamics are really, really crazy um, right now. And I I'm just not um, I just have to comply, even though I don't need to like I shouldn't have to comply. But nobody knows better. You can, I can't wear a badge that says, oh, I be Corona. Like I was actually creating T-shirts. I wanted to create some T-shirts to, like, with the hashtag I be Corona Club COVID. And I can't I can't because like if I did Club COVID, they're going to think I'm walking around with coronavirus. But if I say I be Corona, like, how do you know? Well. Right. I, I tested positive and I tested negative twice, which was the CD, like w- was our original directive. Not many people are testing, period, because the tests are appar- apparently very difficult to acquire, um, especially the follow-up. But I'm participating in a number of uh, educational institutions, uh, medical studies. So um, donating plasma specifically for the purposes of uh, research. And Ooh. therefore, I'm able to do it. But how many people in the country are, have done that? Uh, in New York City, maybe, I think there are about 9,000 people who had expressed an interest. I don't know how many of the 9,000 have actually tested. And I don't know how many of the 9,000, uh, and that's only one study. I don't know how many of those people have subsequently gotten uh, two test results that confirm that they're negative. Very mm-hmm. few. So I'm in a very, 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 very exclusive vote. And I feel like I have a sense of entitlement to get out and about again, but I can't. So, mm. all right. I'm not going to ramble anymore. Talk about you. Tell me, <laughs> tell me, let's go, let's jump into your career trajectory, how you ended up being a woman founder. Tell me a little bit about the business and what brought you there, what inspired you to start what you were doing first. I assume you were not doing anything remotely like what you're doing now. Uh, give me a little bit of insight into that. Sure. So I, uh, I have always aspired to be an entrepreneur. It's been kind of the fire in my belly for a very long time. And I graduated from college many, many years ago. I've been around for a long time. I've had corporate jobs that I've left and I tried to do my own thing, find my own sort of business and, and bring it up. And I really was not very successful. I was a, an independent consultant. I started a kosher catering business years ago, about 10 years ago, and I had my daughter and I stopped that and then I went back into the corporate world, but as I got older, everyone else got younger and I just simply recognized that what I wanted to do in life, I was not going to have happen to me staying around working for a corporation, using my own creativity for some corporate company to make money. And so I had left my corporate job a few years ago and I started my own consultancy but it wasn't really enough for me, and I didn't find a way to differentiate my offering enough to make it truly compelling, and I, I always wanted to pivot to product. Like I saw myself really as the CEO or the founder of a product company, and last year, I was talking with some friends. So I, I, I've always worked in enterprise technology and uh, software automation and business process automation, and I know that software can automate manual tasks. 
And so I kind of had my ears and my feelers perked up looking for product opportunities where software could automate a manual process. And I have some friends that play in some bands and I asked them one day how they get themselves booked in venues. And these are like kind of local bands. These are not, I don't mean the Taylor Swifts and the Beyonce's of the world. I'm talking about, you know, the guy or the girl band that you see at your kind of local club or your brewery or what have you. And so they described to me this very manual process, which involves emailing and waiting for communication and then follow up and then making phone calls and then networking. And it is so much rigmarole and legwork. And I hate rigmarole and legwork and doing all of this silo type of communication. And so this bell went off in my mind. How can I create software or how can I define and design automation that will make their lives easier? And ZipGig came from this. If I could create a central platform where venues input their profile and bands input their profile and then the software matches them together, they communicate directly on the platform, it is going to remove so many obstacles and so many siloed communications and make their lives a lot easier. Right. And so ZipGig came from this. And I spent the last nine months, seems like it hasn't been that long, but it has, building this. It took a little bit longer than I thought, uh, building this platform. But now it's, the timing is amazing really here because I am in beta testing. I expect beta testing to be very short, maybe two weeks, and there not to be a lot of feedback because I've done the right thing. I've gotten customer input at every step of this development process, and so I feel like I have an MVP that's a pretty good MVP, like it's 90% of the way that it needs to be for an MVP. Awesome. And uh, we're going to launch, and so I, 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 uh, I'm just going to be very frank and throw this out there because for me, just articulating and communicating this stuff feels great. I have had tremendous anxiety over, obviously, the COVID closure because venues are shut down, live music venues are shut down. People get into live music venues, they start drinking alcohol, their defenses go down, they start getting close, and bammo, COVID starts to spread all over again. So. Yep. Although states are reopening, live music venues are really the last one until we can kind of figure out how to effectively open and operate and possibly contain the virus. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be tough. But that that doesn't stop me. So I'm I'm in this process now where I'm um, onboarding bands onto the platform. Soon I'm going to onboard venues onto the platform. And by that process, by that time, hopefully, something will be reopened and people can create bookings. Yeah. It will grow. And if not, you can always try to pivot ever so slightly so that, you know, I think that I read, what was I reading? Some Brett Michaels, maybe? I think he was looking to do, uh, I just saw this on Facebook this morning very, very quickly while I was donating plasma. And I think he wants to do these Zoom uh, conference, <laughs> concerts, which is amazing. I can't imagine how that would work, but there's got to be a way to do that as well, to, to build in the structure for that. Yeah, I mean... Oh, absolutely. I mean, so my platform is really the booking platform. So how do you find the right band for that Zoom concert? Well, it's a band that's, first of all, got a great sound that does really well on video. You know, some bands may not want to do that. Like, um, yeah, I should I should look that up. Maybe there's a partnership opportunity there. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I've been seeing in a lot of these groups, um, you know, that help with, with pivoting. A lot of people have pivoted in a way that obviously lends itself to... Um, you know, focusing on on doing things that are clearly at home. So there's got to be something. And if there's anything I can do to assist you with that, is any any type of insights that I glean, I'm happy to share them. Now, Brett Michaels, my um, my hair band memory hair hair band memory is a little bit thin here. Was he the singer for um, uh, what's the name of that '80s hair band? Poison. Yeah, he yeah maybe I don't know, but he has a lot of hair. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, that's amazing. I, I, I definitely wish you the best of luck on your on your initiative. And I, I truly hope that I think it's a it's a great, great idea. I think a lot of people are struggling. I think there are, I don't know, potential offshoots of doing this in, in other types of contexts. It doesn't have to necessarily be just gigs. Mm-hmm. There might be other things where you need to do like maybe outreach, uh, in a CRM slight, slight type of function where you can do a lot of cool things. I mean, obviously focus on this for now, see what, mm-hmm. where it goes, but I, I'm sure you can leverage that platform and uh, replicate it for, for other types of industries, rel- similar types of industries. So moving into your, I guess your, we, we, we kind of talked about this beforehand. Obviously, like I, I talk about to the listeners, I don't get any context in what's going on before I really reach out the podcast. It's very, very basic introductory stuff. This is what the podcast is. This is what we should talk about. Mm -hmm. And in this particular uh, story, you talked about how you have a rising above the ashes story that's gradual. And I would love to hear where, what that looks like and what brought you here? Because I mean, obviously, I hear you right now. You're very upbeat. I mean, there are a lot of people that I talked about in in podcasts. I don't glean that attitude, and yet you're in a. It's interesting just to get that and, and really feel that at the same time while your product, which is still in development, so it's not out and about and running around like you're. you're but you're still you're, you're you're chugging along, and I think and I like that, and I love that, and I obviously see that you have risen. So tell me a little bit about what that looked like knowing that it was slower than yeah go ahead uh, wow um so i think the the first thing that comes to my mind when you said that last part is 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 a, a lot of self-doubt and i don't and i don't mean i i can't do this although i do have those moments it's have i made the right decision is the timing off can i make this a success am i going to have to start over doing something else I don't know if it's me or if it's maybe women in general or if it's simply indicative of my industry or a sign of the times, but you go through this this endless cycle almost daily of, am I making the right decision? And I think all founders probably go through that even in the best of times because we simply cannot predict how the future is going to go. And when you're an entrepreneur, there is no safety net. You know, you work for a company, and I, and I liken it like this, and I don't mean to... I don't mean disrespect to anyone who is a corporate employee, but being a corporate employee is kind of like living with mom and dad. Mom and dad are there to pay the bills, and yeah, you have a you have a function that you do, and you're you're dealing with your company dynamics, and you are expected to perform, and you want to get promoted, but you have a job, and mom and dad pays the bills for you. Entrepreneur is literally being on your own. There is no mom and dad. There's no safety net. If you fail, you fail. And you have to go back and try again and do something else. And so it's that sort of uncertainty. You can either embrace it or you can let it cripple you or you can feel it and figure out a way to tackle it. That is really, I think, the challenging part for being an entrepreneur is there's just this no safety net. And you'll get into this rut where you will doubt your decisions or simply be overcome by the anxiety of not being able to comfortably predict what's going to happen in the future. Right. Um, I would say probably my, I guess, rise to ashes story. I, it's um, it's really kind of overcoming this 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 dissatisfaction and this this dis, dis, dissatisfaction in life. And so I'll give you kind of a very short story. Um, at the time that I'm launching this business, my husband and I are going through a divorce. We still live together in the same roof. We are great friends. If nothing else, this time has brought us together again as great friends because 
we weren't in a place where we were getting along well for a long time. It's hard to live under the same roof when you're undergoing a divorce. And so this has brought us together. And it's great because now we're rediscovering what brought us together in the first place, that we really like each other, we're great friends, we're supporting each other. And he's been a wonderful help in, in getting me you know, focused in, in launching this business. And, but for a long time, I, I was just living this life um, that I, I, it was hard for me. I, I, live in the, I, I was, lived in San Francisco for 10 years in the city, and I loved it. And my husband and I started, decided to start a family, and we had a daughter. And I did it later in life. I was in my early 40s at the time. And so we moved out of the city and kind of down to San Jose, which is also a city, but it's much more of a suburban type city. So now we're in the suburbs and I'm a suburban mom. I don't have an SUV and I don't have a minivan. I have a sports car and an EV. So I, I don't fit the mold of somebody who's a suburban mom. And I, you know, I'm a really outdoorsy and I consider myself a go-getter. And all my friends were, were, you know, really into their kids. And I love my daughter too, but she's not my sole purpose for living. I have an identity and I love doing things. And so I developed this, this, un, this dissatisfaction. And I couldn't articulate it and I couldn't identify it because everyone around me was is embracing this life as a suburban mom like it's the greatest thing since sliced white bread. And so I just had this this underlying discontent in my life. And so surfacing it and doing something about it, I think, in acknowledging it and accepting it. And so I, you know, my husband and I are going through this divorce and I'm gonna be moving away. My daughter is gonna be staying with him and not with me. So it's, you know, doing things that other women and other moms aren't doing and launching this endeavor and being an entrepreneur. And I just, I feel like I always color outside the lines. Isn't this great? Like I try to hide it. And so I, I have to rise above that, as you said, kind of not letting, not letting myself be different and uh, just making the most of it and not letting it hold me back and not, you know, staying within the, the herd of what women are expected to do once they become parents. I guess that's my rise to the ashes. And it sounds so like, uh, it sounds like it's so um, disingenuous, but it, it can really affect you negatively if you don't embrace this difference and you're not willing to accept it and kind of kind of leverage it to, to the best that you can and, and make something of it. So I know we were talking about before this call, and I want to talk about it, that you kind of felt like your rise above the ashes story is not like a story that you would necessarily want to share because you know, in comparison to other people's traumas or ashes, like, sure, it's, it's not, it's not, I guess, as bad, if you will, using quotes there. I want to, I want to hone in on that because at the end of the day, everybody, and literally they say it, and everybody has to deal with their, you know, SH, uh, and I'm not going to say it in full because it's still G-rated podcast and I don't want, I don't know if, if saying it would change my podcast <laughs> designation and, and categorization here in terms of what age appropriateness it has. So I think everybody deals with, um, you know, hardship in a different way. And some people, I think that, and maybe I'm wrong, but some people deal with, some people are more resilient than others. So they're able to overcome and maybe tolerate some of the worst hardships in the world I, you know I, I want I want to realize that nobody's life is perfect and people deal like internalize their own crap in a way that I think some people like I, I, I will uh, let me let me get a little more uh, nitty-gritty here I have a, a, a very close friend who unfortunately had to bury a child mm-hmm. um, and Meanwhile, I had been working on my 
business brands even before this. And then she had her child and her baby was a baby, um, Mm -hmm. passed away. And I mean, after that happened and I'm talking about like, my story is a story of loss, but it's not the loss of a child. I, you know, I continued on with my mission because for me, it was still me overcoming a loss. And in her, like in context, it was just like, this is not a loss. You can't imagine how lucky you are. And I get it. But, you know, the thing is that everybody's loss is to themselves. That's what, that's the crap they're dealing with. She has been dealt a horrible card but like her resilience and the fact that she's able to overcome is an amazing testimony to where she is at what she is as a human being. She, I, I can't, I don't, I don't wish what happened to me on her and I don't wish what happened to her on me. I don't, I don't know how to do it. We're like, I don't know how to be sensitive. Like, obviously I want to be sensitive about it, but like, you know, even when I, when I said, you know, somebody lost their father or somebody lost this, it's not the same as losing a child. And yeah, I get it. But it's, it's just like, how, how do we, and I think when you were saying to me, I think your concern was like, how do I say this while also being sensitive to the fact that people are dealing with worse traumas, people are dealing with abuse, people are dealing with, yeah. with, with, with losing a loved one, people, like I've lost, it wasn't, it was a loved one, it wasn't the same type of loss that, that I, you know, that was experienced here. We all, again, we all are dealing with shit and, sorry, we all are dealing with, we all, I'm going to say this again, I'm going to add that part out. We are all dealing with something, with our own crap in our lives that, um, that are, that's hard for us. Some of us can handle more than others. The fact Mm -hmm. that I don't think I would be alive if I had the same loss that she experienced. And I, I just don't, I don't know, I don't know what to say. All I know is that I want to be so, it's like, I feel like I have to tiptoe on eggshells, uh, tiptoe, like literally tiptoe on eggshells to be sensitive to this friend of mine who was like literally one of my best friends. And now, like, it's just that obviously my issue is diminished in comparison and I can't have conversations with her about like my product launch. You would think that she would be supportive, but she would have been supported if it wasn't, if she didn't experience it in this way. And uh, it's like the hardest thing I, like I, I've changed in, in launching my brands, I've changed some of the terminology to be sensitive to her, but it's still not good enough because, you know, my brand literally was an impetus like this. The loss that I experienced was an impetus to launch my brand. So I can't change that story. I'm not going to change that story for her. I am being sensitive in the best way that I can. And again, I've changed everything that I need to, to, but I can't, there's, there's nothing else I can do. Are you going to talk about your loss? Cause you've mentioned it, but you don't, you didn't talk about the specifics. Yeah. Um, I mean, Are, or it's, you don't want to. I could a little bit. I've shared it in a in a past podcast. Um, the short version of it is the 140 character version is that I was in a very very deep dark place. Uh, I was in uh, depression for about nine years, uh-huh. and um, at that point, I was also exploited in a way uh, mentally to to give to a little bit too much of myself. The the remaining bit of myself that I had, and I became mm-hmm. very I, I emotionally latched onto that. You know, because I was I was needy, but I wasn't I wasn't aware that I was needy until I hit the rock bottom because I gave the the little that I had left to to nurture this relationship, 
and mm-hmm. that was good enough until it wasn't and then one day just literally one day basically no warning kick to the curb moving on and it was like my rock bottom mm-hmm. so um that was tough that was really really tough uh especially like at some point to some degree um it's more painful because the person you've lost is still living and unwilling to give you the closure you need so it's 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 harder but at the same time it's not the same it's i, I can't i can't say something like that that does that doesn't sound nice that doesn't sound sensitive to somebody yeah. who's deal who clearly is dealing with something in a way that is difficult so right yeah anyhow no that's uh that's a good story i i understand i've had those kinds of relationships where you were you were, you were, you were um, at least for me, I was existing for the benefit of that person and it never really felt like a two-way relationship. It felt like a one-way relationship. And when that person was done and ready to move on, well, there goes me, right? And then as there, in my case, there, there was no closure. It was just a completely a shutout and that's very, that's very hard. Right. You really lose yourself. You lose yourself emotionally and it's very difficult. I mean, for me, I will say that I, I would say I did exist for that person and it was extraordinarily like I have never I, I still think about it every single day since this happened it's been over two years now and mm-hmm. every single day and I wonder is there is it mutual and the answer is hell no it's not mutual there's no mutual like I can only imagine the, the tweets that I've uh, I, I, I actually don't acknowledge it but there was a two-year anniversary of the loss I made a large um, open, like I, I, I Instagrammed it. I, this is actually something I meant, read out loud in a previous podcast. I, I, I celebrated it. I finally felt comfortable to share it. And can you imagine that I didn't hear back? I was on the news. The brother reached out to me saying, I'm really happy to see you on the news. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm sure I could hear, you know, I would hear from someone else because it definitely would have gotten back to them. But that that's that's life is life and i'm probably never it's never gonna happen and i'm not Mm. expecting it i would like it to some degree i want some closure i want things to be in a better way but the closure the way this particularly ended was very very difficult yeah so it's it's uh it's tough it's like i mean the the longer we live the more stories we have like this where you become scarred and it takes a long time to get over those scars it really does like I think there's a convention out there to say, oh, buck up. I have had friends that, you know, when I had boyfriends that left me and I was just devastated. I had friends, oh, buck up. You know, looking back, that's the worst advice you give to somebody. Oh, buck up. You'll be fine. It's like, okay, you've never experienced anything so painful if you're telling me that and that's your best recommendation. I mean, as a person, those of us who are deeply affected, and it sounds like you are deeply affected, and I am as well. I mean, it takes a long time to get over things, and and you wonder how it changes you. Does it change you change you for the better? Does it change you for the worse? It's um, it's right. tough. It really is. What people- I, I, I and I find, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm a little older. I I find it actually gets worse as I get older, and not better. I, and I get more attached to people, and right. if they disappoint you or they hurt you, it hurts even more. Um, than when I was younger. Right. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel that for sure. Um, I think that what people don't recognize, and this is kind of going back to this particular individual who has endured a loss, it, there's absolutely, like there, like I said, there's no comparison. I don't want to diminish what she, what she went through. 
But at the same time, the emotional investment for me in particular to this was substantially more than mothering four children. It's like Mm -hmm. the difference. It's like night and day. I don't know. I don't want to have to ever think about what it would be like to lose a child. I don't want to. But at the same time, like this was huge for me. It was shattered my existence for a while. Wow. And that's that's all I'm gonna say at that point. I have to be mindful. I have to be respectful of other people enduring and dealing with their own losses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, going back to our conversation, obviously, overcoming any type of hurdle. Obviously, I think you find yourself in a in a moment, a mental moment. You get some mental clarity. You know, in general, I think you need to. We we need to as human beings need to kind of have a recognizance that we've suffered in order to find ourselves uh, prioritizing our wellness, our mental health, our physical Mm -hmm. health, and the like. And you definitely have a story to that. So tell me a little bit about that, what you're doing, what your regimen is like, if your regimen has changed in any way. I mean, you did talk about your uh, appreciation of nature, and I assume that's a big focus for you. But tell me a little bit about what that looks like. So I, um, I, I'll say up front, I am not, and this I'm not apologetic for, I am not a martyr mom. So I'm a mom, like you're a mom. I don't have four kids. I have one kid, uh, but she's pretty active, but she's older. She's nine. She can take care of herself. But the entire time that I've had her, I've never, not once, put my needs as a person on the back burner to accommodate her needs. Now, I mean, if she needed to be changed or diaper or needed to be fed, of course I attend to those things, but I know a lot of moms that are martyr moms where they just simply give up their self-care requirements for the sake of their children, and I refuse to do that, and I've never done that. So for me, self-care is real easy. I don't sacrifice sleep, I don't sacrifice food, and I do not sacrifice exercise. And exercise is literally my lifeline. It is what keeps me sane, it is what keeps me thinking clearly and staying focused. And so I spend an inordinate amount of time running and biking and mountain biking and hiking. And I used to go to the gym. The gym, of course, is closed. But I would spend you know, three hours at the gym doing whatever I want to do and not feel even remotely bad that I wasn't at my child's side at every second or at anyone's side um, for, for you know every second. So I put self-care at the top of the list. And my feeling is, is if you are not taking care of yourself, you are not taking care of anybody else. And so it's like the airplane thing. Put your mask on first and then put the mask on people around you. Like you need to do that. Put your mask on first and then help everyone around you. And so self-care is, is absolutely important. And it doesn't even mean exercise. It could mean some buying some new clothes, not going off the deep end on the clothes, but you know, shopping, making sure that you feel good about yourself, getting your hair done, whatever it is that you do that makes you feel good about yourself, you absolutely have to do that. Because when you feel good about yourself, then you can be in a position to take care of other people. Right. And that is my, that's my self-care soapbox. No, I love it. I love it. I think it's important. I think that's, you, you just articulated something that I've been doing, feeling like I've been selfish, but at the same time, that's exactly what it is. You know, I will prioritize running in the morning if it means leaving my husband with four children. I'm going to do it. I don't do it that much, but I need to. It's like, it's important. It's, it, it will make me healthier to make me happier to make me a better parent as it is. So why don't I just prioritize it for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and get it done. Yeah. And your kids are going to be fine. Like I, 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 you know, kids are, they're, they're so resilient. They don't see what we see. They don't, they're just kids. Like, I don't know, put them in front of the TV for half an hour, whatever it is that you have to do. 
uh, give them iPads or something, they're going to be just fine. And, and that time is your time to do as whatever you want. Running, yeah. walking, taking yeah. a really long shower, taking a bath, whatever it is. Right, right. Yeah. The other night, I will say, it was like, I took a walk. It was 8 o'clock at night, so my youngest two were asleep. But my older two, I mean, they would, they're playing Fortnite and watching Disney Plus or doing some sort of, like, I don't know, Roblox. Uh, which I give them a little bit too much of right now in the coronavirus craziness, but um, it makes them happy and it makes it makes them quiet. So I think that's, yeah. I don't have shame in it right now. Obviously, I'm going to change the dynamic a little later. But uh, I took a walk outside and it was about 59 degrees, 64% humidity. I actually looked because I realized that it was like the best weather. It was no very, there was no winds and it just, it was, the world was so freaking still that you could hear people like probably three houses down uh, inside their houses. And I was uh. just, and there were no cars at all except for one. And I was just like, this feels amazing. Am I dead? Like I was going to lay down in the middle of the street because it just felt so wonderful. And I'm like, thank God I did this. I'm like, thank mm. God I did this because that's another thing. You don't co go out and smell the roses unless you go out and smell the roses and Sometimes you just need to forget everything else and put everything aside and just appreciate what you have around the, around you at any time at the expense. There's no expense. This is the expense of supporting yourself, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So that's great. Um, has the dynamic changed at all for you in the midst of what's happening? I, I would say I do it more. I, I uh, Yeah. I mean, without all the other distractions that I could do in life, you know, not being able to go out or not being able to, you know, go, you know, go out in the evening or something or take in some kind of entertainment. I find that because there's even more doubt, right? We're, we're, we've been thrust into, and I mean, not, none of us have lived through a pandemic like this before. Everyone keeps talking about the 1918 flu, but who was alive in 1918? Really, there wasn't a baby who can, who can experience this. So everyone is experiencing this kind of pandemic for the first times in their lives. And and everything was thrown into a turmoil, so much anxiety everywhere, so many new habits that had to be formed, new behaviors that had to be learned in a very short period of time. Everything we knew about the world got turned upside down. Every way that we relate with people in person got turned upside down. And so the amount of anxiety that everyone was feeling was so huge. And because exercise already was a way for me to diffuse the anxiety that I feel, I rely on it even more now. And That's so because great. I don't have to go anywhere to right. the Trader Joe's to buy my groceries, I'm, right. I'm doing it more. I'm hiking for three hours in the middle of the day or going mountain biking. That's so amazing. I find that I, I actually lean on it even more. Well, that's good to know. I, I Being in the midst of everything here, it has been relitively difficult to do that. But I'm trying. Well, you're, I'm you're definitely... in a city. You're, New Rochelle is a pretty, that's a pretty urban area, right? Yeah, it's suburban. It's, it's, oh, it's suburban. about a half an hour away from New York City. So, uh -huh. uh, and New York City, I, I would have actually have to, I did this in the beginning, uh, look at the Times Square webcam, uh, the Earth cam, and it uh -huh. only saw four people. I can only imagine that it's increased ever so slightly. So life is starting to resume, but it's not resuming enough. And uh, we're, we're getting there. But, but yeah, gyms aren't going to be reopened for a very long time. And that's, like, the one thing I want. Um, yeah, me too. Nonetheless, I'm glad I'm, I'm able to start moving. And I'm going to try to make that more of a priority because that's, like, I need some transition in my life. And going to the gym would be that transition to give me a little bit of semblance of normalcy. But 
Ah, it is what it is. I was, I did have the virus. I have slowed down because of the virus, but at the same time, I didn't stop, and that's important. I'm glad I'm still showing up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you sound great. I mean, I, really, you, you, you seem optimistic, and you, you had it, you beat it, and you're talking about it. I think it's nice. I think you should tell more people that story because people are still freaked out. Yeah, yeah. I've been. I actually wrote up quite a few pieces on Medium. Um, about my experience being in quarantine because we were in quarantine two weeks before the rest of the world. So it was like, oh my God, she's in quarantine. We're not. I'm like kind of <laughs> glad that it happened because I was able to kind of set set a spotlight on myself in terms of like being the, people call me like the queen of New Rochelle. <laughs> like it's really funny, but I've done a lot more than just writing about it. I've, I've uh -huh. actually facilitated the feeding of about 35,000 people. Um, wow. Through uh, food banks, uh, donations in the food banks, uh, restaurants, restaurants, uh, restaurant we, we I forge relationships with restaurants and have food delivered here so I've been mm -hmm. like it's funny because I'm like I launched a brand this like last week I soft launched my brand but at the same time the prioritization has been on being doing good things for the community with no no expectation of payment I'm not right. making any money off of any of these initiatives if anything mm -hmm. I get 50% off of a dinner <laughs> which is <laughs> okay that's lovely thank you I actually somebody hey. gave me 15% off I'm like that's you know, I just bought you like 40 different orders, 50%. Can I ask you a, a yeah. question? You said forge relationships with um, with restaurants. Did you do this? Did you do this remotely? You 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 contacted them, and how yeah. did you do that? You don't yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. By all means, um, at this point, and I think maybe you you have people that are more receptive. In, in in general, I I I have somebody who sometimes has contacts information contact information and is able to give me their phone numbers, and I've reached I reach out to them directly that way. Uh, I've emailed some of the restaurants and I've also been in touch with them on Facebook. So um, I just say, hey, we can you co coordinate a delivery to my area? And they said, well, yeah, sure, if you can get enough people. And there are a lot of people who are doing that, but they're not realizing it to the fruition that needs to be done. Like you basically need to, number one, reach out. Number two, fig figure out the logistics, the time that works out for everybody. Number three, offer up a physical location. I have a, happen to have a driveway that works really well as a drive-through. Number four, market it. Number five, market it. Number six, market it. Number seven, keep marketing it. Sometimes, in, in some some cases, I'm actually collecting the money from people. They Venmo me, and then I pay the guy. There, yeah. the logistics of this, it's it's absolutely it's extraordinarily arduous. People think that this is just a very you know set it and forget it thing. This is by, like, honestly, I've never worked this hard in my life. Wow. Um, but, I bet. You know, oh, yeah. Doing, doing the volunteerism that I'm doing in this context to help restaurants stay afloat and help people get fed. And mm -hmm. then still trying to launch a business. And also, which, which probably is more of my focus because I, you know, I still, again, paying the bills. Um, focusing on the client work that I have. <laughs> so, yeah, sleep is not happening uh, until after the coronavirus, uh, after the world reopens and becomes the way it used to be, which they say is never happening again. So I don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, people say that, but that's just, that's just, what does that mean? Who's saying that, right? I mean, it, it will be back. It's uh, it's going to be gradually back. Yeah. Or, or humans, or society. I mean, technology changes things. You know, look at the big things that have changed, changed, uh, changed the way we live. Industrialization, technology has changed. So, so what will happen is, is we'll have it. I guess we'll have a new way of life, and people won't forget this. But when there's a vaccine, 
um, that people are going to kind of go back to the way they were. Because why? We're people, and people are social animals. We're going to want to get together, and we're going to want to live that way. Yeah. Like, yeah. That is so strong, that cannot be broken. I mean, the world came together after the plague. What would the right. plague do? It wiped yeah. out. Like, but it was forgotten. I don't, I don't know how long it took for them to resume normalcy. Uh, they keep saying that this is going to be years. I mean, indefinite. There's Twitter and Facebook are working from home indefinitely. Once upon a time, I wanted jobs at both of those companies. Twitter had some uh, work from home jobs. Facebook, Google was like laughable when you suggested that you wanted to work from home. So now yeah. that, that that culture has shifted in such a way, it's just, it's, just it's, it's incredible for me. Uh, I, and, I, and I tweeted it. I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm upset that the ship has sailed now that I've kind of like moved on and decided to create my own future because I couldn't rely on them for their future. It's like the corporate thing. Um, well, so, but, but, but let me give you some, so I, as somebody who's worked for Facebook and worked in these big technology companies, I, I'm going to give you kind of a different perspective. So they're saying that now because it's in their best interest to say that now. Work from home indefinitely. Like they want to be the good citizen, especially Facebook because they're such a rotten citizen. They want to be the good citizen. And so when things do get back and we have a vaccination, they'll say, oh, you can work from home, but... But you may not have XYZ project available to you, but you may not get that promotion, but you are not going to be um, hobnobbing with the other executives that are in the office. There is going to be, there's going to be strings attached. Mark my words on that. So All right. I'm glad you're predicting the future. Yeah. This is the real world. Like they're saying that now because they're protecting their interest. Yeah. That's what you're right. Facebook does. You're right. You're right. Very likely so. And I mean, you know, because you've been there and done that. So it'll be interesting. It'll definitely be interesting to see how this plays out. They're, yeah. they're, tra- they're trading their um, their future for what's in their best interest today. They're, that's what they're doing. They're taking care of what's in their best interest today, and then they'll migrate back. I mean, quite honestly, remote work is absolutely the future. We should not be wasting our time on the highway commuting an hour each way every day. That is throwing your life down the toilet. And people should be allowed to work remotely, but these corporations, they get stuck on this mindset of, oh, we need people together in the office. Yeah, because we need to make sure you're not doing, you're not moonlighting. Uh, doing exactly. <laughs> It's true. Like, hey, yeah. I was yeah. moonlighting. I, I can't say that. But then again, I was always transparent about that. Like, the fact is that I have a, like a client and I tell him, hey, you know, you're my priority. I'm launching a bit of business. It's the right time to launch, but you're still my priority. Hopefully he yeah. trusts that. I don't know if he does, but I just need to say, you know, I've been working on this for 18 months and this was the time to launch because, I mean, like I'll give this the 10 second version. People are depressed right now. I'm launching a, a fragrance that was hoping to help uh, overcome depression. Uh, mm-hmm. Cannot make medical claims specifically to that, but right now the experience of scent that people don't appreciate is is the right, like you ground yourself and it, it gets it reinforces uh, who you are, and that helps me. And that's why I think I need to do this right now when people are in isolation. I can't wait to do this after the fact. This is the right time to do it, even though it's the worst time to do it. Right, right. I mean, they say starting a business, you know, in a recession is actually a really good thing because you're laying all the groundwork. And then when things get better, bammo, you've already got your sort of infrastructure in place. So I've heard that before. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I had my infrastructure in place beforehand, but then this happened. And then I I still PR is my biggest thing. And I'm I'm very scared that I don't have the right PR. Uh, I need the I need like one or two key influencers and key uh, news features to talk about how this is this is so important. I mean, I would love to get a scientific basis for it as well, but that's 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 something that I want to do down the road. But yeah, yeah. So I uh, let me ask you one question before we wrap up. 
if you can tell your earlier, an earlier version of yourself something, give her some piece of advice, what would you tell her? Oh, wow. I always love the reaction when I, when I ask this question. <laughs> wow. Let's pause for 10 seconds. Let's pause for 30 minutes. And I have well, to edit out this white space. <laughs> you know, so this question gets asked a lot to a lot of people. And most people have, um, you know, very, very lofty advice. Like, don't listen to your critic. Believe in yourself. Follow your dreams. I'm a very practical person. And I would say do not waste your life working for corporations, working for someone else. Listen inner what you really want to do and go after it. So I, 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 I take your question. And I flip it around and I say, what's the advice I'm going to give my kid? She's nine. What is she going to do when she's 18? What's she going to do when she graduates from college? Don't make the mistakes I made. Go out there, bust it up, be an entrepreneur, create a name for yourself, make your money early in life. When you make your money early in life, it doesn't mean you're greedy. It doesn't mean that you are a crazy driven entrepreneur like Bill Gates. It, money gives you choices in life and money gives you the opportunity to work on the projects you want later in life. So do it early. And so that's the advice I would give myself is, is I wasted time. I was schooled by my parents. Oh, just get a good job and stay there your whole life and you'll be taken care of because my dad worked for the federal government his entire career and that's what working for the federal government is like. And so, uh, yeah, I was so different than the rest of my, my siblings. Get out there, make a name for yourself, be an entrepreneur, start early in life, don't wait, don't listen to what other people are telling you and, and you'll find a way. All so right. that's my advice to my younger self and the same advice I give to my kid like every day. I like it. I like it. Okay. Yeah, I do see, feel the same way. I was really an overachiever in school. I wanted to be like the top of the class and I really worked very, very hard for it. But uh -huh. now that my kids are in school, I'm just like, let's ha have some fun. Don't work so hard. Yeah. And instead of focusing on being the top of your class to go to an Ivy League school, enjoy and take the initiative to hustle and do things a little bit entrepreneurial. And I think that that's a philosophy that many people don't embody i don't want to be like reading rich dad poor dad you don't want to be in the rat race and working for work for other people i would like to hope that i can instill that faith in for uh entrepreneurs uh i can't imagine that that's gonna happen but i'm gonna do the best i can and i am not i'm not ashamed of the way i'm parenting my children it's not the mm -hmm. way i parented myself and yes it didn't come from my parents it came from me it came from within that i was such an overachiever but yeah, I, I wasn't happy for such a long time. And now I feel like, you know what, I'm taking a risk and hopefully that risk will pay off. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess maybe the, the same for me too. I mean, uh, you know, I'm doing this now when I'm much older, but um, could you have done it when you were younger? That's, that's the thing. I, I just didn't really have the knowledge or the experience or frankly, the confidence to yeah. do it. And now I, I simply just don't care. Right. And so that's, that's the hard thing. When you're young, you just don't have this kind of experience. Right. And and so it's important to instill confidence in kids to say, yeah, you can do it. It doesn't matter if you don't know everything. Just get it out there and do something, and you will learn as you go. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I love it. Um, I guess we will wrap up now. So, yeah. yeah, it was a great it was a great conversation. I hope that you found value from it. Absolutely. I, I knew you had a story to tell, and so I, I wanted to ask because I saw your post, and I, I wanted to ask you about it. You know, every podcaster has a story to tell too. And so it's kind of a two way, right? You're listening to my story, but you have a story too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love to share it. I'm totally, totally happy to share it. <laughs> At the same time, I hope my listeners who hear it every time are like, Oh, wait a minute. Not again. No, but I think at the end of the day, you know, you're the spotlight and I, and I hope that I was able to give you that, 
appearance of visibility and, and hopefully we'll get you some zip gigs and all the, all the good things that are going to happen. And I, I wish you all the best. Yeah, me too. I wish you the best as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all again for tuning in. This is your host, Tamar Weinberg of the Common Sense Podcast. Till next time, 